Hi, my name is Bill Cumby. I'm a teacher at uh, First Church Ministries, and we are going through the book of Genesis, uh, fifth lesson and um, the beginning of chapter two. Uh, and I would uh, I'd like to open us a prayer. Right, this is sort of the key verse that we're going to be um, studying through Genesis, but um, um, let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time we have. We thank you that you care so much for us, that you created a good world furnished it for us, and put us there in fellowship with you. Lord, as we, we study your word, as we learn um, how things began and, and what happened uh, at the very beginning of, of our creation, Lord, I pray that you would just encourage us, strengthen us by your spirit, help us to love you more, and, and to really be thankful for your many blessings, uh, uh, and of those, the greatest being you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we are in the book of Genesis, and this is uh, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Is the key verse of Genesis. And, and, and the, <clears throat> the purpose of Genesis, <clears throat> excuse me, is the first book of the Pentateuch, uh, which is the first five books of the Jewish Bible, uh, given uh, traditionally, church history has had it, and Jewish tradition has had it, that the Pentateuch was given at Mount Sinai at the time of the exodus of Israel, about 1250 to 1400 B.C. Um, and uh, the word Genesis means beginning. Uh, book chronicles the beginning of space and time, formation and furnishing of the world, creation of animals and creation of mankind. And we, we've studied that in past lessons in, in, about chapter 1. It also contains a lot about other beginnings, uh, first disobedience of mankind, first children, first destruction of the world by flood, first institution of government, first choosing of the nation of Israel. We'll be talking about that as we get through here. Um, but, but right now we're in Genesis 1, moving into Genesis chapter 2. And uh, I, I want to talk a little about the different create, the, the creation stories that are out there. There's a there's two sets of sort of creation stories. There's these Mesopotamian creation stories that are, are, are uh, surrounding the uh, neighbor, uh, Israel's neighbors and stuff like that, and then just the, in general creation stories. Genesis differs from both these in um, two, two sort of groups in the sense that it's the only one with two viewpoints of creation that are, are full, fully coherent, fairly explain what happened, but do it from a different perspective. Um, there's, um, it's a straightforward, uh, logical account. It's not whimsical. Um, many of these are very whimsical accounts. Um, <clears throat> it discusses all aspects of creation, unlike, again, any other creation account. It talks about the cosmos, the earth, animals, mankind. It talks about everything. Um, it's, it's specifically crafted to make sure that people understand that there is only one God. Okay? You'll get stories that... Oh, in Egypt there was this one god, Akhtutnan, I think, had this one god. But it was the sun god, and the sun god created other gods. There is not just one god, okay? There's, there's no other account any place that talks about one omniscient god, uh, one all-powerful god who created everything. Um, and uh, it's the only one that really discusses time. I mean, the others might talk about how long things were, this or that, but this this account discusses time 
and, and we're going to be talking about that today and, and as we go on. So, so I, I want, we're actually looking at the Sabbath today because the beginning of chapter 2 talks about the Sabbath, the seventh day where God rested from his work and reflected on all he created. And uh, the question comes is, is, why is there, why is that even mentioned? Again, it's sort of an unusual thing there. Is it a null day, a spacer to set us up for the, okay, this is the end and there's a new thing? Is it arbitrary? Is it poetic? Um, is it symbolic or covenantal? In other words, is it a sign for us to remember something by? Um, <clears throat> does it show God's limited? Uh, is it part of the creation space-time matrix? In other words, is, is somehow seven days imprinted on the fabric of the universe um, and just not a continuous thing? Uh, so um, does it affect physical creation, animals, nations, people groups? Um, will it some way pass into eternal time, when, when time stops and we are with God etern- in eternity? Um, I don't have the answers for all of these, but those are, those are questions that are important for us to consider because we just pass by this, and it's not. It's very significant that it's in there, uh, and uh, we're not really quite what to, sure to do with the Sabbath, and we'll be talking about that. In fact, m- most of the times we talk about the six days of creation, but uh, there really were no six days of creation. It said it, it, there's a preparatory thing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and it talks about it being there in the spirit hovering over the waters of the earth. So the earth was created, there were waters and everything else, and yet, and then it goes in the six days, it, it, it gets furnished. In the six days, it gets furnished with uh, light and dark, sky and sea, land, sun, stars, and moons, sea and air animals, and land animals. And then we get the Sabbath. So it really was one day, uh, or not one day, but instantaneous creation, six days of furnishing and then a day of uh, preparation, uh, rest, uh, reflection, excuse me, and rest. And again, bringing us back to the, the, what is the centroid of, of, uh, of Genesis and actually the Pentateuch, and that is God creating man in his image. That we are, we are a special creation. Uh, again, the ex nihilo creation, something from nothing, uh, is, is spoken up at the beginning for the universe and all creation. And then when he creates animals, and then when he creates man, it's mentioned three times because this is a special thing. This is what it's all about. I, so we have two, account, uh, two accounts of creation in Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 is the setting of the stage. It's very much, I was watching Henry V, um, um, uh, Shakespeare's Henry V again, because of this, because... It's very interesting how the, the speaker at the very beginning sets up all the background. And that's Genesis 1. And then it gets into the story with the first vignette, which is chapter 2. And then the rest of the story goes out there. And so Genesis chapter 1 is really just the, he's, he's setting the stage for the Israelites. He's letting them know God created all this, all one God, all created this, and you are special. You know, well, you have worth because you were created in the image of God, and let's explore what that means. And then we'll go into chapter 2 and, and what happened, because obviously um, they are, they're escaping Egypt. They're, they've been bound as slaves for over 400 years, 430 years, and they're getting out, and, and something had, has obviously gone tragically wrong to have all that stuff happen. And so what, what is it? And so that is Genesis. That's what it's talking about. So 
Mankind is the metaphysical and ontological center of creation. Uh, we talked about this last week, and I'm just going to pass over it, but the point of it is this. There is truth out there. There is a reality, and everyone is selling you a truth and a reality out there of how things are. Um, and, and not everyone's view is equally um, biased and accurate. Um, uh, scripture is, is the view from God's viewpoint. I, I hold that Scripture is God-breathed and inspired. Uh, I have, there's plenty of evidence of that. It, it claims to be that, and it's coherent and consistent in that claim and, it, and, and, and what it is predicted by prophecy and otherwise. So, so it's there. So the truth that it expresses is the real truth. It's, it's, yeah, you can say, well, yeah, it's from God's viewpoint. Well, yeah, this, it's his story. It's his story. It's history. You know, this is what is, is, is being told, and this is the truth of it. And so we need, to, we need to take it on its terms, okay? In other words, we need to, when we look at it, we, we need to not look at it with our eyes. You know, we get bound in a bunch of discussions on, on Genesis chapter 1, where they're literal 24-hour days, you know, what, what animals were created and other stuff. And I'm not saying those are, are wrong discussions. I'm just saying they're not the center of Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is that God created everything, everything. A to Z. He, ma- he makes it very clear in the creation that he creates this space and furnishes it, this space and furnishes He created everything. And so, um, so when he talks about the Sabbath, we need to say, why is that in there? What's going on here? Um, you know, and he, he does that. Chapter 2, which actually should not uh, have, chapter 1 should have included these two verses, okay? Because God is referred to as Elohim in chapter 1 and these two verses. And then when we move into the rest of chapter 2, He's referred to as the Lord God, um, uh, Yahweh, um, where we get Jehovah from. And so um, there's a different focus we can tell right off the bat because God is God uses his covenantal name in chapter 2. In chapter 1, he uses the generic name of God because, again, he wants to say there are no other gods. This is that, that Elohim, that's me, you know, um, and so... We get that, and then we get chapter 2 here where he's ending it. And he says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host with them. And on the seventh day God finished all the work he had done, and rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You know, observing the Sabbath is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We are more than animals. We're, we're far more than anything else in creation. We were created in God's image. And because of that, Genesis, uh, actually chapter 1, sort of sets God up as a workman. He goes through the week working, and then and, and the seventh day he rests and reflects on his work. Is a pattern for us because we are created in the image of God. So when it says that God rested on the seventh day, that is telling us that we need to rest and reflect on the seventh day. Well, what does it mean to rest and reflect on the seventh day? It, obviously, um, it do, doesn't mean that God was tired and had to rest. Um, it, does, it does mean that he, I think, that he uh, reflected on his works, that he enjoyed what he created. Well, didn't he do that while he was doing it? Well, yeah, he did. And we should have a constant knowledge and enjoyment of God in the presence of God six days a week. But the seventh day he set apart just for that just for the, the, his, his um, pride and, and what it was created and his um, joy in what he had made. And so we're going to, again, be talking about that um, 
you know, first mention of the Sabbath uh, out of, outside of the, the beginning of Genesis is uh, Exodus 16, where they're told about gathering manna, and they're told to gather twice as much on, on uh, the day before the Sabbath, and that, that, that'll take them through the Sabbath, and then uh, that they're not to do, collect any on the Sabbath. So that's Exodus 16. Um, some people have taken that, by the way, to say people knew about the Sabbath before the Ten Commandments, or per se, because Exodus 20 is where the Ten Commandments are given. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I do think there's an imprint on seven days. I think, again, it's part of creation and creation mandate. So I think in some ways there, there was an awareness of a seven-day uh, thing. But, but how, how clear that was, I don't know. Um, the Ten Commandments has, has the Sabbath. There's the Sabbath year in which all debts are forgiven. So, so one of the things God also gave is, is, is some, some idea of what the Sabbath means. And one of the things was every seventh year, you should take a rest and not plant the fields and uh, basically live off what you had harvested before and have time for reflection and continue to help the poor. Um, debts were forgiven. And every uh, seven-year cycle, seven seven-year cycles, 49, the 50th year was a year of Jubilee in which people that had uh, uh, were slaves um, or uh, had sold themselves into servitude were all freed. And so that was, it was, a, and all the land reverted back to the original owners as a sign that God was the one who gave the land and that you couldn't sell the land because it wasn't yours to sell and you couldn't, People weren't, people had worth and you couldn't sell people. Slaves were set free uh, in the 50th year, supposedly. Um, again, many of those were sold into servitude, and, but they were set free no matter what. And um, then the uh, time of exile uh, to Babylon was 70 years because they never observed a Sabbath year. They never took the seventh year, nor did they take the years of Jubilee. Uh, and so for 70 years, the land had rest, because for 490 years, um, Israel had ignored that command. Um, uh, Christ's teaching, the Sabbath's made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, again, uh, why I say the key verse of Genesis is creation of man and not the Sabbath. Sabbath is, is, is part of creation made for man. All of creation was made for man. It's God's gift to us, God's uh, loving gift to us. And uh, Hebrews talks about there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. We're going to come back to that in a bit. And there's cycles of seven in Revelation um, that, that goes over. So seven is, again, an, sort of almost imprinted type of, of uh, cycle. Um, I, I want to talk a little about, and all that sort of review, it's a bit different, but it's basically a review. I want to talk a little about the fourth commandment today, because the fourth commandment talks about remember the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. So, so we have ten commandments. Everyone says, "Oh, we have ten commandments." It's for, uh, the world's gone, you know, uh, uh, sour because we don't have the ten commandments in our school. And yet, if you ask that same person, sometimes to repeat the ten commandments, they can't. They most often cannot get them in order if they can get them. So the the problem is 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 we want everyone obeying the Ten Commandments. And in fact, so a lot of times Christians are much more interested in, again, people that follow the Ten Commandments than they are about being believers, okay? We want people to act, you know, like Christians more so than we want them to be believers sometimes. So, it, um, but, but these fall into two categories. So the first three, uh, you shall have no other God before me, and you shall not make for yourself an image uh, uh, in the, of, of a God, 
and you should not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Um, those, are, those are tied to the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then the last six are really, um, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the long commandments of prophet hangs on these two commands. And so you get your honor, uh, your mother, your father and mother, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, uh, no lying, and no coveting. And um, so there's a lot of questions on this, and we don't have time. This is not Exodus 20. We're not doing the Ten Commandments today, okay? But, but I will say this. Um, the Sabbath sticks out there, Okay. There are a lot of, of different laws that are given in societies. There was the Code of Hammurabi that had much, much of this and much of the other teachings in Leviticus, moral, ethical teachings. All truth is God's truth, and God has chosen to reveal that to nations, and that's good. These, these are, all these are, are God's rules for a happy life, okay? And, and people find them, and when people follow them, regardless of whether they're believers or not, things go better because this is how the world was created. Uh, you get commands about how to treat God and worship gods and things. But there is no command in, in any religious text I know of that really addresses the Sabbath at a time where you, it, it, it's an outlier. And it doesn't quite fit here and it doesn't quite fit there. Okay, so, so why is it there? I, uh, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. That's the reason why. He made it holy, which means basically he set it apart, he sanctified, he made it different from other days. That's, that's what holiness is, is being set apart, made different. And so, as we are set apart and made different, um, God also set the Sabbath aside. I, I, my argument on the Sabbath is this. God set that as a hard stop each week and, and in cycles of seven years and otherwise to help us reset to realize that the purpose of all this is not the physical world. It is not making people happy, wealthy, wise. It is not helping the poor and the needy, although, again, things we should do, and God does want us to enjoy this world and such, but the purpose of this world is eternity with God. It's not, it's not even eternity, it's fellowship with God. And now in time, space, and then in eternity, and the Sabbath is the expression of fellowship with God in time, space now. And that's, that's what it's about. Um, and, and the problem is, is that um, something happened in the fall, um, we're not comfortable with time. We were created in time, but we're not comfortable with time. We, we want to rush it up or slow it down. We wish we could get it back. We, we get frustrated and stuff like that. And part of this Sabbath thing is, to, is a reset to help us understand um, it's not about this world. It's not all about this. And when we just do the six days, um, yeah, I've, so this, these are musings. <laughs> Please don't take this as teaching. And it talks about the mark of the beast in Revelation. They talk about the six six six. You know, I, I do find it interesting that that a lot of people will talk about the, this last six commandments as a moral code. Is is really when they say we're Ju we're part of the Judeo Christian thing and we we want to have Judeo Christian values, but what they want is the last six. 
They, they, there's disagreement up here with, between Christians and Jewish people about Trinity and other stuff like that. So it's, the Judeo-Christian tradition does not include this, nor does it tend to include the Sabbath. I mean, no, one, no one says, okay, I, the, 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 they, they say we should have some setting aside of the Sabbath. They're not what's going on there. So, so they really want the last six, okay? And the same thing for the work week is six days. But the seventh day given over to contemplation of God and truth and stuff like that, that falls out. And so I, sometimes I wonder if there's 666 and there's another six out there I'm thinking about. But, but that, that, that one of the problems we have and one of the, uh, again, maybe not the mark of the beast, but the mark of our lives, of, a, of, of um, quite frankly, a pagan life, a heathen life, a life without God is that every day is the same. There's six days, okay? Yeah, there's times we have vacations and other things, but really, it's, it's, it's a work week. It, you know, the work week is six days, it, seven days, but the seventh is the same as the sixth. And so, so uh, I have to say this. Um, you, you, they say uh, the worst kind of person who hates smoking is an ex-smoker, okay, or recovering themselves. I have not been good about observing the Sabbath. In fact, the last couple years, I've been horrible about it. And, I, and, and quite frankly, my life with God right now, my relationship with God, my communion with God is probably lower than it's ever been in 40 years. I, I, I'm really struggling with issues now. Um, and, and communicating with God and really understanding where his will is and stuff like that. And I think a lot of it is in the last two years specifically, but really in the last four or five years, um, I have really more and more let work and other problems creep into my life so that I'm now a um, six-day weaker. You know, I'm, I work all the time. I'm doing other things. And because of that, I don't reflect back that the relationships I have at work are more important than getting the work done and, and, and such. And so, um, and, and the fretting, uh, uh, Jose and I were talking about uh, Philippians 4, which he taught on last night, and uh, which I was in this past week trying to think is this: we, we, the anxiousness that get, creeps in because there's not this stop here. So I have to say, to me, and, and take it for what it's worth, because again, this is an issue God is dealing with me very personally with right now. But this is this is life and death. Okay, keeping the Sabbath is life and death for your spiritual life. If you if you don't have that Sabbath, the world will suck you up and spit you out. And you'll just be another person, another animal, quite frankly. You'll just be working your life away for this world. And that's not what... The whole point was that God created the garden for man so he could have fellowship with him. And everything God... So the seventh day is this beautiful setup. Everything's ready to go, and then he goes into the story. And so... The Sabbath is our, our little keyhole into eternity. When you're a little kid and you want to see something, you look through the keyhole of the door to see what's going on in there. It's the keyhole into eternity. It's a, it's a time that we can see what God wants eternally and enjoy some of it now. Um, so... Um, so how should we spend the Sabbath? Okay, you know, what to, by the way, that language is in there is intentional, and it, it, because um, we talk about how to spend the Sabbath. Okay, like it's current, like it's something we have, and how should we expend it? And that's not right. Okay, that, that the very very Western viewpoint on there. Uh, how should we spend the Sabbath? 
Um, there's specific reasons that instructions are not given about this app, and we're going to talk about those. Um, one, is, one of the biggest reasons, though, is because we God needs to instruct us directly through the Holy Spirit about what he wants. There are two rules, though, and, and there are, there's no work on the Sabbath and that we should not seek our own pleasure on it. So, so there's no work, but that doesn't mean it's play on the Sabbath either. That's what he's saying here. And you'll note that those two, uh, those two um, points are negative or restrictive guidance, i.e., they're like the rest of the Ten Commandments. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are what you shouldn't do. You shall have no other God. You shall not make for yourself. You shall not misuse Honor your mother and father's own positive one, I think, in there. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not cover your neighbor's, uh, your neighbor's uh, house, a wife, uh, donkey, anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Um, honor your father and mother is the only positive one, which we don't have time to go into that. But, but, but uh, that's talking about authority as a whole, that God has created an authoritative structure. But... But th- these are restrictive commands, okay? So really, actually, four and five are not negative commands, okay? But the, the Sabbath day four is explained in negative terms. In other words, what you can't do, not work on Sabbath, no pursuing your own pleasure. Um, so the reason I say that is well, if you want to know what to do, you sort of have to look at what Jesus did with the Ten Commandments, okay? Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law of the prophets, I have come to fulfill them. And, and then he gives uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is a explanation of the Ten Commandments from you know, the viewpoint that it should have been there. You, you, you say, uh, you, shall not, uh, you shall not murder, but I'm telling you, if you hate someone, that's it. I, you, know, you shall not um, uh, lie, uh, you shall not give false oaths, but you have to deal with you. You love your neighbor. Um, the, the Sermon on the Mount stands in juxtaposition to the command. So, so Jesus says, you heard it that you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't commit adultery, but, if you, but I'm telling you, if you're lusting for someone, that's adultery. If, you know, it, he's basically saying the restrictive commands to find offense, and I, I want to show this. So, so we, we have this fence here, um, the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are God's rules for a happy life. And if you don't follow them, you have eternity without God and, and you're alone. Uh, and, and, um, but they're really, don't do this, don't do that. Don't do this, don't do that. So we as believers, uh, do they apply to us? There's always a question, well, we're forgiven, um, we're saved by, God's, by faith in God through grace of God and that we don't do anything to deserve it. So do the Ten Commandments really apply to Christians? just as much and just as little as to anyone else, okay? So they're God's rules for a happy life. They do define, there is a fence there, okay, of what you can't do. But the truth is, it is, is not how can I avoid God, God's anger, which is what we're doing when we're looking at the Ten Commandments. And, and Israel built a nice fence with a lot of extra auxiliary commands to, to make sure that you knew that you weren't stepping over that line into, you know, um, destruction, uh, but it really is, how can I please God, uh, love God more and please him? Now, the Ten Commandments like a fence um, that, that's there to protect you from going outside that fence. Um, but we treat it, uh, and by we, I mean everybody. I, I mean Christians, unbelievers, everybody. Um, 
Uh, we treat it as how far can I go without going on the other side of the fence? <laughs> can I watch this movie? Can I do this? Can I, you know, can I, am I allowed to say this? Am I allowed to believe, you know? And, and, and it misses the point of the fence. That the point of the fence is to protect you from the outside, okay, to keep you from getting and straying on the other side. But the point of what's, the fence is what's inside. And, and, and the inside of here is life in the presence of God. And it's what Jesus was trying to help us understand that, that the true expression of the Ten Commandments is, how can I please God? How can I draw closer to God? What can I do to do that? And the Sabbath, so the Sabbath isn't, you know, what can I do to keep the law even though I can't do any work on it? And you get the, the and it's perhaps anecdotal. I, I've heard it so many times that I wonder if it's, Sometimes you get these stories about rabbis did this or rabbis did that. It could be true. It could not be true. Gets, some of the things get passed on. But one is, I, I'm pretty sure it is true, is the Sabbath day walk, which is, was about a fifth of a mile. And uh, that's all the, you were allowed to walk on. But if you took your shoe and you threw it down the road, you could, you could go and fetch your shoe. That's not doing work. That's not walking. And so you'd see people throwing their shoe and going to fetch it. And... Uh, and, and but whether that's uh, anecdotal or whether it's true, it, it is descriptive of what we do to get around the sad. Well, I'm doing this and for this, so I'm doing, and it, it, it's true. It's the fence, okay? We're looking, uh, it's a, you know, I can get that close and not, you know, that's not what this is for. And, there, and, and so, so um, the Ten Commandments apply uh, to us and to everyone because they're God's moral structure for the universe, okay? Um, they define God in his proper context and how we should honor God and how we should treat other people. And, and because of that, they're eternal and they apply to us. We do not suffer the penalty of breaking those commandments because we break them. Believers break them, unbelievers break them, we all break them. The price was paid for Christ, through Christ for those commandments. So, so are we obligated to obey the Ten Commandments once we, you know, once we become believers? There is no more merit or less merit for you obeying them. You will live a lot better life if you obey them. <laughs> because they're God's moral command for the universe, okay? They're how God wants us to live. They're his pleasure, okay? And if we disobey them, don't expect to not be punished for them like, 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 like an unbeliever gets punished for them. If you, get, if, if you hit somebody... Get angry and hit somebody, you might get hit back, you know. If you lie about something, it might come back to haunt you, okay. So, so the point of the Ten Commandments is, again, offense, and we miss the point when we keep on asking that question. And we miss that point on the Sabbath, too. That's why I'm going on this. So, um, you know, there, Christ is our Sabbath. So, there's a, Christ met the requirements of the Ten Commandments. And I, I actually think, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, the reason he gave the Sermon on the Mount was to help us understand how we should live as believers, empowered through the Holy Spirit, and also to tell us that we were toast, that there's no way we could follow the law. Because you might be able to not murder somebody, but I, I'm pretty sure almost everyone has hated somebody in their lives. Um, and, and so there's no way we can keep those commandments. You might be able to keep the Ten Commandments, the fence, but you can't keep the reality of what was intended there. And so Jesus said, oh, you think that's the fence. Let me, let me tell you what the truth is here. And there were two things. One is there's no way. I, I, I'm lost. I, I'm, I'm desperate. I need God. 
And the other thing is, that's the life I want to live, and I can live with the Holy Spirit living me. He can change me in this way. So we have Christ giving himself as a sacrifice for us, and in Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about being the Sabbath, him being our Sabbath. Therefore, since this promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who, believed, now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said. So I declared in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. I'm sorry, sometimes I read, it's a little hard here. And yet, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from his works. Imagine that. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, it still remains for some to enter that rest, since those who have formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of disobedience. God said, uh, again, set a certain day and calling it today. And this he did with a, a long time later when he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about a later day. So, there's, so now he's setting us up for us. What are we talking about us? There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And that's one of the things we do in Christ. So I, I am, uh, if I identify with a person in Scripture, it's probably Jacob. I strive and strive and try to, and, and I think at the end, Jacob just realizes it's all for naught. I could have, I could have, could have taken, a, I could have just trusted God more, and, and God would have still protected me just as much and such. And so... So he says, we enter, we rest from our works just as God did from his. Therefore, let us make every enter, effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their examples of disobedience. They didn't. They didn't enter his rest. They were constantly complaining in the wilderness. They rebelled. They wouldn't trust him, much like we are. Okay, I, We make a mistake if we think that the people in the desert are a lot different from us because they weren't. Okay. It, but he's calling for us to have a different reaction than they did. Um, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him. You must give account. I keep that in there because it's, it's the warning that don't think you can act the right way or say that you believe. God sees, okay? There are, there are constant warriors that, do I have salvation and stuff like that? That passage is not for those people. This passage is for the people who think, yeah, I got it made. I accepted Jesus. I prayed the prayer when I was in such and such. He's, I rest from my works. Not a very good person, but I rest from my works. I don't really rely on the Holy Spirit. I don't go to church. He's, he's talking to those people who are saying, listen, you can't fool God. You're not going to fool God. God is calling you to enter his rest, his rest, okay? Not your rest and pleasure, his rest and pleasure. So, um, so what, does, what does a Sabbath rest? What do we do? How do we do that? Um, dwell in God's word, okay? Read, listen, study, meditate. 
pray with, uh, meet with God in prayer, simple acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication um, is, is a good um, way to remember that. Lift your voice to God, to worship him and to adore him and to be assured. Sometimes our songs in modern days tend to be more towards just assuring us that we're God. But, but there, there should be the hymns of adoration and, and uh, worship to God too. Uh, worship with God's people, and I'll say that's church, okay? Yeah, I'll come back on that in a second. Uh, well, actually, this next one, commune with God alone uh, in a quiet place in creation. Yeah, by the way, you cannot worship God in the same way in nature as you can, or creation, as you can in um, the church, because the church is God's people. The Holy Spirit is there in a different way than he is individually with us, and you, you just can't do that. So, so when you start hearing stuff like that, the reason I say is those are warning signs that, that you're trying to set up your terms, not God's terms. Because God makes it quite clear we're to be together with other people and to worship and that there's a difference there between being in nature. Although being in nature or creation is really good. And just the fact that we just all call it nature all the time instead of creation, um, we, the, the term is creation. We, God created it. But we don't want to hurt other people, so we say nature. It's like, yeah, but... God created it. Anyway, um, so reflect on, on God's goodness, your life, the word, eternity. You know, there, this is, the, and really, that, that reflection is probably, I would put out, um, I was working on these slides this morning up to the very minute I came, and this, I added this, and reflect wasn't in there. I added it at the thing, and I should have put it at the top because, again, it's part, the whole purpose is for us to reflect on the fact that we are not just animals that we've created an image of God to have fellowship with God. Um, doing good and helping others. Um, you know, being, you know, be God, be the presence of God in someone else's lives. Um, I, I would caution, don't let any of these replace the major time alone with God in reflection. Uh, particularly the last one, sometimes we, we, we're a busy people and we like to do things. And we, and, and we definitely want to help other people and stuff, but don't let your day, your Sabbath day, be a day just helping other people. Yes, it is good to do that, but this is a day of reflection. It is a day of rest. It is not a day of working for other people, uh, even, even being God's hands and feet for other people, because God rested on the Sabbath. So I, I'm saying you, you should be impinging on others' lives and in other people's lives, either serving them physically or maybe listening to them and praying with them and fellowship. But don't let that be the center of this Sabbath day rest. So, um, in, in the, the in conclusion, I'd say, you know, why is there a Sabbath? Uh, there's there's a blessing promised in Isaiah. Um, if because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. And call the Sabbath a delight, a holy day of the Lord, honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What a promise. We... It is ironic that we don't delight in God because we don't delight in God. He's telling us, if you delight in me, if you, if you delight in me, then I will help you delight in me. I will help you enjoy. And, and you'll, you'll realize that the eternity we speed towards uh, in this life is 
we can enjoy now in fellowship with God. And but there's a there's we're, we're like kids riding a bike with training wheels. The sat you know we're, we don't want to, you, know, you put them up a little so they they don't you can ride them without them touching the ground or but you can. And we're like that. We tilt from one side to the other on those training wheels, trying to get up the speed to ride without the training wheels. And that's what the Sabbath is for us. It's one of the things. Um, I, I really do believe the Westminster Shorter Catechism has the best answer for this. And uh, that was put together, um, I think, 1647 um, um, by uh, Presbyterian thing. And, uh, and I, I went to a Presbyterian seminary, and I was once talking with a professor on this. Uh, what is the chief end of man? And uh, I said, uh, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I mean, he was teaching that. And, I, I, and then he talked about how to glorify God. And I said, wait, wait, but there's two things there. There's the chief end is, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And he says, well, you don't believe those like are coordinate, do you? I mean, you don't believe those are equal. And I thought, well, yeah, I do. That they're all coordinated. This is the this is the wonder of Scripture, that we glorify God, but we're meant to enjoy Him forever too. This is and, and as we glorify Him, we enjoy Him forever. And they are that. This is a coordinate phrase. The, those that end is a both end, and they're both equal. Okay, we are made to glorify God and enjoy Him. That's why He made us. He didn't make us just so we glorify Him. He, he doesn't need that. As Bob says, Pastor Bob says, um, you know, when you really love something and you're invested in something, you want to talk about it all the time. It's really sort of, people get pretty miserable when someone gets a new boyfriend, girlfriend, because that's all they hear about. You know, it's like, oh, this is so, so wonderful. And they're dead. And, oh, gosh, I'm so tired of hearing about that, okay? So we get joy from glorifying something, okay? And so... Um, we're made to glorify God. And when we glorify God, we enjoy it and we enjoy him. And so that's what the Sabbath's about. That's why I know we're taking a lot of time on this. I just, I just feel it's so cornerstone. I think it's sitting there in Scripture. No one ever deals with it. And they, th- they talk about whether it's a covenant sign or this or that. Or, but but it, all the six days of creation get all this attention. Certainly the fall and everything else guys it. But the Sabbath just passes over. Oh yeah, that's the day of rest. We should we shouldn't be doing work on the Sabbath. It's so much more than that. It's it is sort of the heart of the story. It's the heart of being with God and enjoying our time with God. And so um I really encourage you to to really seriously spend some time by yourself and and with your close ones talking about the Sabbath and how you might be able to reclaim that. It's it's a, it's a reclamation project of mine that, by God's grace, I'll I'll go on. But I tell you, without it, it has been misery for me. I, uh, I it's been been a rough couple of years, and the last few weeks have been through a grinder. And I think a lot of that is pushing me towards saying, Yeah, Bill, there's more than just this other stuff. You were created for more. And you were created for more. We were created for more. Um, So let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. Thank you for your love to us. Thank you that you've given us your word that we can trust and that we can uh, delve into and uh, just enjoy and learn from and to draw closer to you and understand you more. 
Lord, I pray that you help us to do that. I pray you help us love you more and more, desire to be with you more and more, guard our time with you more and more, and, and just desire to be filled with your spirit and let your spirit dwell in us and, and, and outwork through us um, more and more. We thank you for your great love. We pray in your name, Jesus.